That's awesome. We don't even have to have church. Let's just close with prayer right now. Uh, Rich, that thing is, that's, oh, it's like all you Peter Frampton fans are like going, yeah, never mind. You don't even know who that is, most of you. So anyway, well, hey, hey, Randy, Randy, um, you have a song plan like for the walkout, but we just do that again? Sure. All right, good, 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 because we, we don't have any place to go. All right, so, hey, welcome to, uh, to, to Flatirons. If you're here for the first time, um, we're not like your mother's church. <laughs> so anyway, um, but I, I know there's a bunch of merged uh, students in here because we, we do have our priorities in order and... And we're going to watch Super Bowl tomorrow. But anyway, um, hey, uh, when, you, when you came in, you probably noticed a lot of cars and traffic out there. Um, let me guess, for you that don't know, uh, let me just tell you what's kind of going on. Um, a couple weeks ago, we started our service with prayer, at, praying for some specific things. Like uh, we had some, some friends of ours in those plane wrecks that happened across the country, and they're fine. And then we also prayed for uh, Afghanistan, and they're doing well. And, and we prayed for a little boy named Shane, who last hour was actually in our children's ministry. So he's, he's doing well. So that's good. Um, but uh, we're going we're gonna to start with prayer again tonight because one of our friends, a uh, very good friend of Flatirons, uh, went home uh, to heaven yesterday, and his name's John. And uh, uh, some of you are like going, oh, that's that guy. And that's most people just know him as John. We don't know him anything else except it's John, the guy who picks up stuff, John who serves, John who's everywhere, John on his bike. Um, but what I've been, you know, when I first got here, I said, who's that? And someone said, we think it might be Jesus. And... Uh, <laughs> Jesus with skin on, Jesus with a, on a bicycle, whatever. And, and John was killed yesterday, right around the corner up here on 287. He was picking up trash, and, and somebody swerved off the road and, and hit him. And uh, um, here's the thing is, he's all right. He's all right. He, he had a relationship with God, and, and, and really, I mean, all of us kind of wanted to grow up and be like him. And so, um, and he went out, you know, went to heaven doing what he was loving doing. He's serving and picking up trash, and, and he cleans Albertsons. And uh, we're going to close today with communion um, you got to throw your own cups away, because John normally picks up all the cups in here and, and throws those away. Um, but we're going to pray for John. Not, you know, not that he's okay, because we know he's okay, but, um, but for everybody he's left behind, because some of us are having a hard time with it. And uh, so would you do that? Let's just pray. Even if you don't know, his name's John Bro, and, uh, and that's him, and he's Jesus with skin on. So let's just, let's just pray. God, um, I, I thank you for uh, allowing me in the last three years to, to get to know John just a little bit. Um, I see in him all the best that a, pe- a person can be. Never ask for anything except what can I do for you and how can I help. And I don't even remember asking him to help. He just helped. And he just loved and he was unconditionally befriended everybody. He didn't ask any questions. And that, that's, that parking lot over at Albertsons is full of people that are just praying. God, some, some of them don't know who to pray to. And I pray that you would use this and his faith to, to let them know that you, you can run, they can run to you because you care about him. I pray for his brother and, and, and his other family members that they're still here, you know, questions that will never be answered and heartbroken that may, may never mend again. But would you let them know that he's all right and that you've healed him and, uh, and he is better than he's ever been. Um, and then, God, thank you for letting him be a part of Flatirons. Um, again, he's the bar and we, we just kind of try to live up to that. And uh, so thank you for letting us know him, and, uh, and I pray that, uh, that a lot of people can reconsider their own lives and, and what, they, what their lives, the direction and even the purpose of their own lives, because I think that's what John communicated, that life is important and people are important and loving one another is important. That's our prayer tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, um, we are in week two of a series that we kicked off last week uh, called Hide and Seek, where we're looking at some of our tendencies, um, our reactions when life kind of falls apart, blows apart, either because we screw up or somebody else screws up, or really sometimes nobody has messed up, life just falls apart, and cars go out of control and people get sick and stuff like that, and, and we respond, we react in different ways to other people and to, to, to ourselves and especially to God. And the question we've been asking ourselves over the last you know, month in here and what we're going to continue for, for several more weeks is this. If there's a God, and some of us are still on the fence on that, but if there is a God and he's good, why do I keep doing the things I do and responding and reacting the way I respond and react and, and treating other people the way I, I treat other, other people? Uh, maybe it's a better way to say that's not a question. It's, it's actually a statement. The way I act and the way I treat other people and the way I respond to my circumstances is a statement about how I see God. See, if, if God is good, uh, that's one thing. If God is real and God cares and God is forgiving and God is compassionate, that's one thing. But if he's not, if he's something else, that's something else. I run to one God, I hide from the other one. And that's why we're calling this thing hide, hide and seek. And so last week, we kind of kicked off this series by looking at the story of these two famous people in the Bible, Adam and Eve. And, and they, they really messed up big time. And because they felt so ashamed, they tried to hide from God, which is ridiculous when you say it out loud. But, but a lot of us try to hide from God. And they realized that, that, that they couldn't do that. And, and finally, kind of the story ends with, while they realized they should never have done what they, they did, um, the message from God is not, if you screw up, God's going to get you. Now, a lot of us think that's, that's, that's the Bible. If you mess up, God's going to zap you and hit you and fry you or, or whatever. That's not the, the whole message of God. The, the whole message, the complete message from God, who is good, by the way, is that he is willing, more than willing, to love you and forgive you and give grace to anybody who needs it. Tonight, I want to kind of look at another game of hide-and-seek we tend to play when our lives kind of blow apart. I've got to give you a little, like, Bible history lesson here to make the last part kind of make sense. So if, if you don't want to hear this, you can go get some coffee, and then you can check back in later. But I mean, for, for those of us who are kind of new to the whole Bible thing, like, the first two-thirds of the Bible is called the Old Testament, all right? And that's all the parts of history before Jesus was born. So everything before Christmas, all right, is the Old Testament. And kind of the theme of the Bible before Jesus is, if you mess up, somebody's got to pay Something's going to die. Either you're going to have to die for what you did, or you've got to kill a sheep or a lamb or a goat or something like that. A lot of blood in the Old Testament, okay? So anyway, if you mess up, somebody has to pay. Now, the last third of, of the Bible is called the New Testament, and it starts with Jesus being born. And if, if the first four books are, are kind of, not chapters, but kind of sections of the New Testament are, are called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are four guys who wrote the biographies, kind of the life story of, of their three years that they kind of hung out with Jesus, Tonight, I want to spend most of our time in, in one book called the book of John, a guy named John, <laughs> da-da, uh, he wrote it, and uh, it kind of opens up, and if you want to read the whole thing, it's a, it's a really good read, so, so read it, but the, the, the book opens with Jesus kind of recruiting his very first followers, and the first followers were called disciples, and a disciple is just anybody that kind of follows somebody else around. The first two disciples on the planet were, were named Andrew and John. So they're kind of like, okay, we'll follow you, Jesus. And then Andrew goes home and gets his brother, whose name is Peter, all right? And, and, and eventually that number grows to 12, okay? So now there's 12 disciples. Most of these guys, and this is really important, most of these guys, before they start following Jesus, were, were fishermen, okay? Their occupation was fishermen, which is, and he's like, well, that's kind of weird. Everybody back then was either a fisherman, a farmer, or a shepherd. So you hear a lot of sheep stories, fishing stories, and, you know, so anyway, anybody says he's a fisherman, okay? Now, there's nothing wrong with being a fisherman. So if you're sitting there going, what's wrong with being a fisherman? No, nothing's wrong with being a fisherman. Jesus just shows up at these guys who, by the way, hate their life and says, hey, follow me. 
follow me. I mean, lay down your nets and just, just, just leave your old life behind and, and follow me. And you've been fishing for fish, but from now on, you're going to fish for people. Meaning this, if you follow me, I'm going to change your life. And you're going to make a difference in this world. You're going to change so many people's lives. You're going to help a lot of people. And so 12 guys for the next three years follow Jesus around. I mean, he teaches them. I mean, it's like the ultimate small group, okay, or, or community group. I don't know if you've ever been in a Bible study. This one was better. You know, it's like, hey, I had a question about creation. Okay, I was there. Let me tell you how it happened. Oh, well, write, write this down, you know. Or, you know, how, how did this happen? Well, I actually did that, and I explained it. So, so God in flesh has kind of explained the whole world. He, he taught him stuff like this. Um, you have a choice in your life. There's two paths you can go by. You know, Zeppelin didn't come up with that. There are two paths you can go by. You get to choose. I'm telling you one, if you follow me, I'll, I'll lead you to a better life, an abundant life. They got to see miracles. I mean, we get to read about miracles and we see them in movies. They got a front row kind of, you know, kind of view of, of all the miracles. Like they were at this wedding one time and they ran out of wine. Jesus turned the water into wine. A party, Jesus. All right, anyway, so it's like, yeah, drink, you know, whatever. So anyway, um, big things like, hey, there's like 5,000 guys here and their families, and we don't have any food, and he took some bread and fish and fed everybody. Um, um, they saw people that had never walked before and, and had never been able to see before, and Jesus, like, touched them or just spoke to them or, or, or several different things, and, and, they, and they, they were healed. They, they actually saw some dead people. Jesus said, come back to life, and they, like, walked out of the tomb. I mean, this is, this is awesome. Peter, all right, who we're going to talk about tonight, uh, he, Peter actually got to walk on water. Not very far, okay, he sunk. But anyway, he, for, a few, for a few moments, he got to walk on water. They saw Jesus get mad. You know, Jesus got mad, yeah. Never at people who messed up, though. Jesus never, you know, raised his voice, you know, to anybody that failed financially or morally or relationally or sexually. As a matter of fact, the only time you ever see, like, Jesus have veins in his neck and kind of get mad is, is when he confronted hypocritical people, religious people who tried to hide their mistakes while pointing their finger at everybody else's. This is where we are tonight. At the end of those three years, Jesus gets like, these 12 guys together for dinner, and they're like, they're, it's dinner time, and, he's, and he kind of drops a bomb on them. He's like, hey, pass the gravy. By the way, one of you is going to betray me. Uh, more corn? You know, something like that, you know? And they're like, whoa! You know, yeah, one of you is going to betray me tonight and turn me over to the enemy, and I'm going to be crucified. And there's this guy at the table. His name's Peter, and he stands up, and he's kind of a drama king. He stands up and goes, No! I, I will, listen, I will never, I will never betray you. These guys might because they're not, you know, but I love you more. I don't know about these guys. I don't know about these, you know, four down front. I don't know, but I'm telling you, I, everybody else may turn away. I will never leave you. And everybody else is like rolling their eyes like, we've all met that guy. I, I would never do that, you know. So, so anyway, Jesus looks at him and goes, really? Really, you'll never deny me? Nope, never, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> hey, I'm going to tell you the truth, Peter. You're going to deny me tonight three times. Before the rooster crows, you know, I'm telling you, you'll deny me. And Peter sits down. <laughs> oh, all right. More potatoes, please. All right, so here's the thing, all right? Here's the thing about Peter. He gets this hard rap. You know, he's sunk. You know, he tried to walk on water. He denies Jesus, all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing about Peter. I, I think he meant it. I really do. I don't think he's a hypocrite. I think he really, really meant, you know, I, I'll follow you, Jesus. I think that he thought, when we get up from dinner and go out there, I'm going to follow you. All these other 11 guys, they may turn away, but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to follow you, whatever, wherever that goes. I think Jesus, Peter loved Jesus. I think he did. I think he's trying to follow Jesus. And it's easy to follow Jesus when Jesus is right there. Isn't it? I mean, wouldn't it be easy, you know, I, could, I, could, I follow Jesus, you know. He goes to, wouldn't it be great if he could go to work with you Monday? You know, how, how do you follow Jesus? Well, he sits next to me, you know. You know, and he goes on your dates. How do you stay so pure? Well, <laughs> it's kind of a party killer, but I'm telling you, it's keeping me on the right, 
the right track, you know? It's, it's easy to follow Jesus when you're in church, you know, and all your, everybody on the road is like, well, let's all follow Jesus. Okay, let's, let's sing the songs, you know? It's really, it's really great, and, and that's what Peter did. You know, when he was with, with his church buddies or when he was with Jesus, he made these great emotional speeches, I'll follow you forever and I'll never sin and all that kind of stuff. And I think everybody was like, that Peter, man, he's serious. He's, he's on fire. But his story's kind of like mine. Um, things change fast, don't they? I mean, a few hours later, if you read this, and again, read the, read the whole thing, you know, it, you know, Jesus is gone. They, they arrested him and he's in a courtroom now and all of the friends have kind of like scattered, all right? It's dark, and Peter's all by himself. He's actually outside the courtroom, hiding in the corner, waiting to kind of hear what's happening to Jesus inside. And read this later. This little slave girl, that's what the Bible says, a slave girl walked up to, to Peter and goes, um, are you a follower of Jesus? And Peter doesn't even blink an eye. No. Nope. And you're like, whoa, whoa. Well, hey, 30 minutes ago, you're going to like follow him. A little girl walks in and goes, are you a follower of Jesus? No, I'm not. A little while later, someone else accuses him. You, no, you were with Jesus. Peter makes a oath. I promise. I, I, don't, I wasn't with him. I, I, I promise I wasn't. A little bit later, a third time, uh, uh, someone comes in and goes, you are one of them. And this time, with curses and profanity to make the point, Peter swears, I don't know the man. Never met him. Not, he's not in my life. I'm not in his life. One of the other guys that wrote the biography, his name is Luke. He, he says this third time, when, when, when Peter denied him the third time, it was the same time that they were leading Jesus out of the door and through the courtyard to go to another courtroom. Look at this. It says, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. That was awkward. <laughs> hey. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him like two hours ago. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Now, now here's why I want to look at this story today. Um, Because I think that Peter's story lines up pretty well with some of ours, at at least mine. See, Peter started well. He did great for a little while, and then the wheels fell off. Does that sound like anybody else's story? We, when we meant, I mean, we started well, and then we hit a snag or we hit a bump, and then kind of everything fell apart. Like, like, like it's the end of January. Tomorrow's, you know, I mean, this is the last day of January. And most of my New Year's resolutions already tanked them. I mean, between Christmas and New Year's, Robin and I looked at each other, and we said, we have got to start eating better. Right? But you, you can't start on January. It's like, it's the January. It's a holiday, the January 1st. And then I went on a mission trip. And you can't, like, say to those people, I can't eat your rice and meat and rice and rice and meat. And you can't do that. It's just, that would be rude, you know? And then I get home, and we were, it was Robin's birthday and Jordan's birthday. You have, you have to eat cake and ice cream. It's a rule. You know, it's in the Bible somewhere. Anyway, I mean, I'm telling you, you, you had to do that. And so the, kind of the new thing, you know, in my house, because let's be honest, Chick-fil-A, could name a building after me, all right? So, um, so the new kind of goal at our house is that tomorrow, February 1st, Rob and I are going to start eating better, right after the Super Bowl party, okay? <laughs> we are, but, you know, th- this time tomorrow night, you know, we, we, no, but by bedtime, I mean, uh, we're going now. All right, you know, here's the thing is, you know, you know, screwing up fudging your diet, it's not the same as denying Jesus, okay? I'll give you that. But there are some things in my life, in your life, I think, that are a little more serious. Like how many times have, have we said and promised and vowed to ourselves, other people, or God, I'll, I'd never do that, or I'll never do that again. And we meant it. And, and for a while, we kept it. We, we did it. You know, we kept away, We kept the promise. We said, I'll never do that again. And we stopped what we said we were going to stop. And we stayed away from whatever we promised to stay away from and, or whoever. And for a while, you know, we tried really hard and did what we said we were going to do. 
But then, and everybody remembers this day, right? Then uh, we got ambushed, right? I mean, some random, I didn't see that coming moment. It caught my eye, you know, grabbed my attention, kind of triggered those old feelings again, those old emotions and memories. And in a moment of, I don't know, panic, fear, rebellion, lust, resentment, arrogance, I found myself doing stuff that yesterday I would have sworn I would never do or do again. Anybody else? Right? I mean, doesn't that describe a lot of the messes that we find ourselves in? I mean, okay, you know, statistics say that about half of us in this room, more than half actually, struggle with pornography. All right? Pornography means we're, it's, um, it's at an addictive level. All right? But how many of us have said, you know, just one look, one, five minutes on that website, and then I'll, I'll, I'll click it. I'll, I'll change it. It can't hurt. Five minutes. How about this one? One One drink. Because I've been sober three months. I got my three, I got my, I got my button, my, what is it called? It's my chip. I got my chip, you know, and, and ADD, I need another pill. But anyway, all right, so I got, I got my chip, you know, and it's like one drink. I mean, how many of us have said one won't matter? Famous last words, one phone call. I'm a caller, not to get anything going again. Just going to check on her as a friend. Okay, I'm going to borrow money from the account just one time, and I'll pay it back. I promise, this time I'll pay it back. We tell a little lie. I had to work late, honey. I had to stay after school. Oh, no, no, they weren't, they weren't there. We've all been there, right? Let's get back to the story. All right, so Peter kind of fails. He blows up. He denies Jesus three times, like in, a, in an hour. The next day, Jesus is put on trial. They beat him, then they nail him to a cross. Where's Peter in all this? Doesn't really say. Probably hiding in the bushes, Right? Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead, appears to all the disciples. Peter's there, but doesn't say anything. Probably just hangs back at the end of the crowd. As a matter of fact, the first recorded words in the Bible after you know, Peter's big fiasco are several days after Jesus comes back to life. This is the first words after I don't know him. Peter says this. Look at John chapter 21. He says, I'm going out to fish. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter told them. And, and they said, that's all the disciples. He says, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, remember what Peter did before he started following Jesus? He's a fisherman. So Peter makes a big mistake, and what's he do? I'm just going back to my old life. Why do, that? Why do you do that? The same reason you and I do that. We talked about this last week. There are these voices in our life. There are these tapes playing on our head, right? And they kind of go like this. Ever had this conversation with yourself? Uh, you did it again. You did it again. I told you you couldn't change. And all that God stuff, you know, it doesn't work. It isn't real because if it was real, you wouldn't have screwed up again. This voice in my head says, you know, I, I deserve, I, I deserve, I deserve all this. I messed up so bad. I don't even deserve another chance. I did my best. I couldn't stop. I will always be like this. Why did I think things I could ever change? Here's a big one. Jesus, I really bought it. Jesus was going to use me to do great things. And I made promises to people. And I can't even, I can't even hold my life together one day. Without screwing it up. Here's the big line. I'm just a, and you fill in the blank. I'm just a fisherman. All I've ever been is a fisherman. All I'll ever be is a fisherman. I might as well accept it. I'm going fishing. Sound familiar? I'm just a screw up. I screw up everything. It's what I am. I've never been a very good husband. I've never been a very good mom. I don't even know how to be a good friend. You know, I've tried like 10 times to kick this habit. It's never worked yet. I've never been able to break this addiction or fight these feelings. It, it's who I am. It's who I am. 
So what's the use? I'm, I'm going fishing. So Peter's out there fishing. So three years of Jesus meant nothing. Back to reality. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? So let's pick up the story. Those guys are out there fishing. By the way, they're bad fishermen. Every place in the Bible, they don't catch anything until Jesus shows up. But anyway, verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus, all right? He called out to them, friends, this is funny, friends, have you any fish? It's kind of mean. It's like, hey, you're God, you know, I don't have any fish. Anyway, so anyway, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large catch of fish. By the way, deja vu. Because if you read the first few verses of the book of John, this is how they met. They're out there fishing poorly again. And Jesus says, well, change the location and all these fish jump in. So, so things are starting to click in their mind. Hey, this has happened before. So verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's kind of code word for John, the guy writing this book, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off. That's, that's Aramaic for he was naked. And if you're going to meet Jesus... Put on a robe. All right, so anyway, and he jumped in the water. Verse 8, the other disciples following, followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with some fish on it. So he already had fish. This is just another, like, dig. But anyway, and some bread. So it's like picnic time. Let's skip down a few more verses, all right? When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now time out. You're sitting around a campfire, the same type of campfire you've sat around with Jesus for the last three years, and everything was cool then. But today's different, right? It's a little awkward because you know what you did, and everybody in the circle knows what you did, and you know that Jesus knows what you did. So when Jesus looks across the campfire and goes, hey, Simon Peter, you know what's coming. Hey, Simon Peter, what were you thinking? Hey, what, 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 could you not even, st- you couldn't even stand up to a little slave girl? I'm like, oh no, it's a slave girl. Like, come on. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, someone was pushing on you or something like that. I mean, I mean, maybe I was wrong about you. I mean, couldn't you just stood up for me once? I mean, three times. I mean, you're, I, I was wrong, but maybe this is all you are, a fisherman. That's not what Jesus said to him or to, or to you, by the way. No, Jesus asked him a question. Hey, Simon Peter, um. Simon, son of John, and John's not the writer here. John's actually his dad. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And that question can mean a couple different things. It could be, hey, Simon Peter, do you love me more than this, all this fishing stuff? Do you love me more than your old life? Because apparently you really love your old life because you you ditched me and you went back to that. Is that what what you're thinking? But see, here's the thing is Peter had grown up religious. And I don't know if you've ever been to this church, but in his religion, if you mess up, they kick you out. Right? Ever been there? So, hey, I tried, I failed, it's over. Maybe that's what Jesus meant. I think this is what Jesus meant. I, I think he looked at me and says, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these guys? Not that they don't love me, but Peter knew exactly what he's talking about. Remember a couple nights ago, dinner, the big speech you gave? Remember that? Oh, everybody else may fail you, but I will never, 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 ever. Maybe Jesus is just pointing out Peter's arrogant words. I think he's saying, hey, Peter, you want, to free, you want to rethink that statement? Want to rephrase it? Maybe like, never say never? Peter responds, uh, do you love me more than these? Uh, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. See, several weeks before this, Jesus had looked at Peter and says, I want you to start my first church. And if you read the book of Acts, he actually does that. But I think Jesus is saying, listen, Peter, when you lead my church, you can't do it out of arrogance. 
You can't yell at people. As a matter of fact, the greatest way to lead my church, um, there's a t-shirt you need to get. It's called Me Too. Right? See, Peter, whenever you start getting cocky or tell people what they should do or shouldn't do or ought to do or whatever, remember, remember this moment. Remember the rooster. Remember that. It'll humble you. Don't arrogantly yell at people, even about God, or beat up my sheep. Jesus isn't done. He's got some more questions. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? This time, the question is not comparing Peter to everybody else. He's just saying, do you, I'm talking about you, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. Feed them, now take care of them. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, this third time stung, but it also had to kind of be an aha moment for Peter. See, Peter had messed up how many times? Three times. So just like, you know, last week God asked, you know, Adam and Eve, where are you? What are you doing over there? Come back. Why don't you want to be over here? Jesus gives Peter three chances to come clean. Do you love me? Are you still with me? Do you trust me? I think those are the questions he's asking us tonight. So let's apply this, you know, this little walk along the beach story and see how this kind of translates 2,000 years later. So if you're taking notes, here's the note-taking part. The first one goes like this. Conflict, and you will have conflict, but conflict requires confrontation. Conflict requires confrontation. See, both Jesus and Peter knew what Peter had done. And Jesus knew that he was going to forgive Peter, but there's a difference between forgiveness and, and sweeping it under the rug. See, Jesus knows that, hey, let's just pretend like it didn't happen, or, or kind of, you know, hey, let's just move on. Uh, that's not the answer. And that's true in a lot of areas of our life. I mean, if you're just trying to pretend like what happened didn't happen, or try to ignore, you know, the, the stuff's going on, I can almost, pro- I'm not a prophet or anything, but let me prophesy. It's going to happen again, and again, and again, and again. Right? I mean, let's just, that's our stories. Right now, and I don't know your story, but I bet you do, and this is the truth. There's stuff going on under your roof tonight. Under your roof, under your nose, just behind your back. And you kind of know what's going on, but you're just hoping it'll kind of fix itself. Right? Kind of resolve itself and just go away. It won't. Jesus knew that. I have to be honest with you, and I know that none of us can fix another person, and none of us have magic words to make people stop doing something or start doing something, but I've got to be honest with you, I have lost count of the number of times I've had to sit in emergency rooms, hospital rooms, uh, rehab centers, courtrooms, jail, and hear that same phrases over and over. I knew what was going on. I should have done something, or I should have said something, but I, I, didn't, I didn't, it wasn't my job, or I, I didn't know how to say it. Didn't know what to do, but Jesus did something. He showed up on that beach for one reason. Not to do some magic fish trick, you know. Look, I can still do it, you know. He came looking for Peter to confront him about what he'd done so that he could be restored. See, the goal, write this down if you're taking notes, the goal of confrontation must be restoration. If your goal of confronting something is, somebody is not, you know, restoration, uh, then don't confront them. See, if you're confronting somebody just to knock some sense into them or, or punish them, um, it's not your job. It's just not your job. So you confront somebody 
with the hope that they can be restored and things can go back to the way they need to be healed. See, Jesus could have found somebody else to lead his church. He wasn't at a loss. He could have actually pointed to Peter and say, see the guy in the boat? That's what happens when people screw up. I throw them out and they have to go back to their old life. He didn't do that. He loved Peter. And he, and he saw huge potential and value in Peter, even though Peter had screwed up. So in love, tough love, he went looking for Peter and he gave him another chance. Which brings me to number two. If restoration is the goal, then failure doesn't automatically mean disqualification. Just because you screw up doesn't mean you're out of the game. It doesn't have to anyway. See, Jesus didn't invite Peter, hey, take a walk with me. You're out. Go to hell. Go away. I can never use you again. No, he didn't, he didn't walk with him so that he could let him have it. The goal of the walk with, with, on that beach was that Peter could get back in the game. Right? I mean, maybe the reason, and I can't prove this, maybe the reason Jesus asked Peter the same question three times is for, for Peter's benefit. So that Peter would know that, you know, I denied him three times. I'm not one-third forgiven or two-thirds forgiven. I'm, I'm totally forgiven. Everything in, I've ever done has been forgiven. In any case, Jesus looks at Peter and three times says, I still want you. I still trust you. I want you to be the guy that starts my church. And if you read Acts chapter 2, He does. You probably hear that and go, well, great for Peter. I mean, that's probably true f- for Peter, but um, you don't know what I, what I did. See, you don't get up from what I did. You don't recover from, from that. See, I blew up my family. Is that your story? I destroyed everybody that I loved. I mean, they'll, they'll never be the same. I betrayed everything I believe in and stood for. and I lost everything. And here's, the, here's kind of the deal to put it over the top. Let me trumpet, all right? This isn't the first time I've done it. I keep on doing the same stupid stuff over and over and over. And all of that might be true. It might be true. But that doesn't make sense that our first reaction when we do something one time or one time too many is that we do what either Adam and Eve did. We, we hide. We try to cover it up and pretend that we didn't do it or that nobody will notice. Or we do what Peter did. We give up. We're just a screw up. We surrender to our failure. We ditch the whole thing. We go back to our old life. That's who we are. It's kind of like we're chained up to our past. We, don't, we, we say this a lot around here. We have, we have several slogans around here. Me too. Um, you got two deals on the table. Choose God's and you can choose the other one if you want. The other one, though, we say around here a lot is your past does not have to disqualify your future. Your past has no right to determine your future, dictate your future, define your future. But a lot of us have bought into the idea that it does. I am what I did. It's just not true. I, I don't use a lot of preacher stories. They're actually preacher story websites, preacher story books, stuff like that. I hate most of them, but this is a good one, okay? My grandpa used it, my dad used it, and I, I remember this one. But as soon as I, if you've ever grew up in church, you're going to go, I know this one, all right? And it's a good one. So anyway, here he goes, right? Johnny and Mary, two little kids, went to spend the summer at their grandma's house, all right? And when they get to their grandma's house, uh, she kind of shows them around the farm and says, here's your chores, and you do this, and you do this. And, and by the way, this is my pet duck. She didn't have a dog or cat. She had a pet duck, okay? So, so here's my pet duck, and she loved the duck and all that. So, so Johnny and Mary, the summer went pretty well until one day Johnny is outside playing with his slingshot. Now, Johnny's not very good at it. He's never hit anything he's ever aimed at before. But today he just lets the rock go and just as sure as anything, hits the duck in the head. Duck falls over, dead duck, okay? So... Johnny panics. Oh, no. What will Grandma do? So he takes the duck and he hides it behind the barn. That night at supper, all right, normally Johnny and Mary kind of split up the chores, but when, when it was over, Mary looked, looked over at Johnny and said, hey, um, Johnny, why don't you do all the dishes tonight? And Johnny's like, no, that, that's not my, my job. Mary kind of edges over and goes, I know what you did. I know about the duck. 
and I'll tell grandma. And Johnny's like, I'll do the dishes. <laughs> Absolutely. And after supper was over, it was, it was Mary's turn to take out the trash, but Mary looks at Johnny and goes, Johnny, don't you want to take out the trash? And, and Johnny started to, to object, and then Mary looked at him and went, I know about the duck. I'll take out the trash. The next day, you know, it's time to rake the yard, and Mary said, you know what, I think Johnny wants to rake the whole yard all by himself. And Johnny started, but Mary just looked at him, quack. Anybody else have a big sister like Mary? Anyway, so anyway, this goes on for like a couple weeks until finally Johnny just can't take it anymore. Mary's outside, and finally Johnny goes up to Grandma and says, Grandma, i got to tell you something. What is it, Johnny? Um, I killed your duck. It was me, and I, I was afraid, and I'm ashamed, and I'm, I'm really, really sorry. The grandmother looked at the little boy and said, You're such a liar. I don't want you to be my grandson. And that's not what she said. She's like, what a creepy grandma. But anyway, uh, now this, the grandma pulls him up on her lap and says this, um, I was actually sitting upstairs looking out the window. I saw you kill my duck. And I was just wondering, how long are you going to take this bondage to Mary? I've watched you, her give you orders for the last two weeks, and I wondered how long it would be before you finally came to me. Now let that sink in a little bit, because that's our story. And please hear this. No, no matter what you've ever done or how many times you've done it or how you feel about what you've done in the past, if you believe that from now on that's what you are and that's all you'll ever be and this is all that you can ever do, whatever voice you're listening to, write this down. It is not God. God is not saying that. God is not telling you that you are your past. It's another voice. It's a lying voice. And if you are here last week, I would build a case it's a voice from the liar speaking his native language. See, God didn't have a list of uh, sins and mistakes that are forgivable. I'm willing to forgive those, but these, don't do those, because if you do those, you're out. He doesn't have a magic number. That one, I'll, I'll forgive that 24 times. 25, they'll go to hell. No, it doesn't work like that. Listen to this, and this is pretty heavy verses out of the Bible, but, but listen to this. You, you can, this makes sense. It says, the law, remember the law, if you sin, you've got to pay, you know, and something's got to die. Uh, the, the law was added so that the trespass, our mistakes, might increase. In other words, there was a day when if you mess up, you're out. There was a day. There was a day in your life that your relationship with God is if you mess up, you, you, you were separated from him. But, all right, but where sin increased, where my mistakes increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death... I mean, that's what happens. So also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life, not death, life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, when Jesus showed up and died on a cross, what he did on that cross was so big, so significant that now, not before, but now, there's more than enough love. There's more than enough grace and forgiveness for any sin that you or I have ever committed in the past or might ever commit in the future. Get this. The more sin that we've committed the more we're going to find out how much love and grace and forgiveness is actually available. Do you understand that? Not so, it's, it's not like, you know, hell insurance, like fire insurance. I can throw matches around my house. I've got fire insurance. It's not that. Although people will take advantage of grace. No, here's the thing. The more sin we have, the more mistakes that we're aware of in our life, the more we'll realize how much love and grace and forgiveness is actually available to us, and it'll blow you away. It's just, it was a boy. That's why we worship him all the time. His grace is much greater than our mistakes. And if that's true, then let me just close with this big question. If that's true, if there is a God and he loves us and he's willing to forgive us, even at great cost to himself, 
He has no desire to hold our past against us. What do we do now? What, what, what should we do? If all that's true, what should we do? And here it is. See, if you read the beginning, when, Je- when Peter was a fisherman before he followed Jesus, the first thing that Jesus ever, ever said to Peter is the first thing he said to you when you had your conversation with him. And the last thing he says in the book of John to Peter is the same thing he's saying to you tonight. He goes like, the, he just looks at Peter and says, hey, Peter, follow me. And I think that's what he's saying to us tonight. Um, follow me again. You used to follow me. All right, I forgive you. Now, follow me again. And if you, you keep reading the, peep, the, the, the story, Peter you know, is listening to Jesus, and he's coming up with all these arguments why he shouldn't be forgiven. And finally, Jesus says, don't, don't worry about the past. And don't worry about other people's past and what they're doing and how they're treating you. He just says, you, I'm talking about you, Peter, you must follow me. And I think that's the message that a lot of us need to hear tonight. I messed up, I screwed up, I blew up my life. What should I do now? And here it is. Whatever you've done in the past or whatever you're currently doing, Tonight could be a line in the sand from now on, from this point on. I'm going to follow him. What do you mean follow him? Whatever direction Jesus says is a better way to live my life. A guy named Paul uh, who used to murder Christians for a career, and then he became one, and that changed everything. But he he said it this way. He says, brothers, and he's talking to people like us, "I, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's not claiming to be perfect or I've got my act together. You know, what? He says, listen, I don't consider myself to be perfect, but one thing I do, I might screw up a lot of things. This is the one thing I do. I, I do it pretty well. And here it is, ready? Forgetting what is behind, forgetting my past and straining toward what is ahead. I press on, I push on toward the goal to, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, I, I don't do very th- many things well. This one thing I do. I'm forgetting the past. And forgetting doesn't mean like, uh, did I sin? Did I have an affair? Did did I get addicted to this or that? Did I blow up my, I don't remember. That's not what it means when you say forget. Forget literally means, um, I've been carrying this thing. I am letting go. I'll always remember. I'm just not going to let it define me anymore and control my future. And I'm moving on. Where? And in the direction that God has called me, I'm going to follow him. I don't know if tonight you're playing hide and seek with God, but, and I don't hand out advice very, very, very often, but take it or leave it. If you're running away from God, why? He's good. And he loves you. And he's willing to forgive. And you say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how good he is. His grace is bigger. So if you're running... Run toward him, not away. Now, Jesus knew that we kind of sit in rooms like this and go, what? That's why at that dinner party that he had the night that he was kind of, you know, murdered, all right? Um, he gets these 12 guys together, and he looks around the table, and he says, hey, take the bread. Everybody take a piece of bread. So he hands out bread to everybody. Everybody take a bite. Okay, and then he takes the wine, says, everybody take a drink. Now, they eat bread and drink wine at every meal, but he says, from now on, I want this to mean something different. From now on, like after tonight, I want you to get together and do this a lot and remember what I'm, I'm going to do for you, which made no sense at all because he hadn't been arrested or crucified or resurrected yet. But in about three days, he's going to go, oh, that's what you meant. Because here's why he gave us this thing called communion. He knows that we're going to sit in, in rooms like this and, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make big promises to God like we've all made. I'll never do that again or I promise I'll be a good boy or I, I, you know, that's the last time I'll ever do that. And we mean it. We really mean it. 
but we are going to fall flat on our face, right? Because that's what we've done every other time. And our tendency is going to be to either hide it, run from him, uh, deny it, kind of sweep it under the carpet, or kind of take the spotlight off ourselves and point our fingers at other people, uh, right? Or here's, here's what a lot of us do, you know, just kind of screw the whole thing and go back to my old life. Jesus says, listen, I just, you just need to get in rooms like this. Everybody take a piece of bread. Everybody take a, drink, a little drink, drink of wine, all right? And just remember, this isn't magic bread and magic wine. This is, I think we got it at Albertsons, okay? So, but it represents. There's more love and grace and forgiveness than any sin you could come up with, yours included. So we're going to do that. I'm going to pray. Randy's going to sing this, lead us in worship in this song that he wrote. I don't know how people do this, but he's amazing. But anyway, so listen to it. They're going to pass trays up and down, all right? There's a piece of bread in it, a little piece of cup. Remember to pick up your own cup tonight, all right? Um, you don't have to do this. If, if you think, ah, they're, they're passing out Kool-Aid. It's weird. You know, I know. I know. I know. I mean, it's really, it's, it's not anything more than a symbol that says, Remember. If you don't feel comfortable doing it, don't. You're saying, well, this isn't really my normal church I go to. Um, that went away the day you, the moment you walked through this door. It's your church now, okay? You don't have to come back, but it's yours while you're here, okay? So uh, I'm going to pray. This is an amazing song. And you can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can hold hands, you can pray. I don't, I don't know. Um, have a conversation with God that includes the words thank you. All right, let's pray. God, um, you... you you are amazing, uh, this thing called grace and forgiveness, and you must have a lot of it because I know how much I need, and I know some of the people in this room, and I know their stories, and so you must really have a lot of love and forgiveness and grace, more than I would ever have for me, but you do. And so, God, would you just break those tapes that are playing in our head and drown out those voices with a better voice that says, I love you, and I trust you, and I still want you, and you're forgiven. People might not forgive us. Things may never be the same here in this life again, but we know that with you, we're okay. So God, just uh, we eat this bread. It represents your son, Jesus. We, we drink this little cup, and we sing hallelujah, which simply means, yeah, yes, God. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.